This is episode number 239 with Dottie Herman of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name's Nathan Chan. I'm coming to you live from hometown, homegrown Melbourne, Australia. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your earbuds with me. You're in for a treat with today's episode. But before I talk about today's guest, I just wanted to share, guys, if you have been listening to this podcast for a long time or you're just starting to learn a little bit about us and the kind of content we produce, make sure you go and check out the Founder YouTube channel. We're working really, really hard to produce next level video content. I know you might be an audio listener, but you might be a video listener too, or a video watcher. Uh, So go to founder.com forward slash YouTube or youtube.com forward slash founder. Please do subscribe. Please do check the channel out. Uh, we're on a mission. We we got to get to a hundred thousand subscribers. So I'm uh, playing with you guys. Please do subscribe. Uh, it would help us more than you can imagine. But more than anything, like we just want to share tons of gold with you as always. So make sure you go and check it out. So let's talk about today's guest. Her name's Dottie Herman, and she is America's richest self-made woman in real estate. So. We talk about her life, her rise to, you know, building this massive real estate firm, which she actually acquired uh, called Douglas Elliman. So really interesting story, really down to earth lady, incredible woman, uh, what she's been able to do in her career. So that's it from me, guys. If you are enjoying the show, please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps us more than you can imagine. Uh, just... Um, also, make sure you recommend this to friends. All right, that's it from me. Now I'll jump the show. So, uh, yeah, the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? Interesting. Um, I was in school going to get a certification in financial planning and my Series 7 license. And in the interim, 
I did real, I started to do real estate just because I could do flexible hours and still go to school. And while I was going to school and doing real estate, and I told my boss, you know, as soon as I'm done, I get my series seven and I get my certification of financial planning, I'm out of here. And when that all happened, I said to him, well, I'm out of here. And he said, no, don't, don't leave because I'm selling my company to Merrill Lynch. And Merrill Lynch is now entering the real estate market. And you would be great with your background because you have a real estate background and a financial planning background. It would be perfect. And uh, I read in a book because in those years, it was the late 80s, there was no internet. It said, if you want to get ahead in life, you are better off working where the top people work or seeing them than to be around people who really don't have authority. So I looked up where the people that ran the Merrill Lynch Realty were. I took a plane and flew to California and I basically broke into their office. And uh, I just basically said, look, I said, I don't have an appointment with you, but I'm really great. And I heard you, you are coming into the real estate business and I would be a great asset. And the CEO, uh, I think it was George Rothman, said to me, he looked at me like, how did you get an appointment with me? And then he just started to smile and um, that's, and then I started working for Merrill Lynch, building their brand in real estate because they were basically uh, known for their stocks and they had decided to do an array of financial services. Uh, mortgage, real estate, so that they would get multiple margins and multiple profits from their customers. And so Merrill Lynch was not known in the real estate business. And I basically started from them. I was an employee of theirs and we built that brand in real estate. Yeah, interesting. And and what happened next? Like when when did you go off and... and uh... That's interesting. And I always say a lot of there's opportunities in life. People just sometimes don't recognize them. I worked for Merrill. I loved working for them. Uh, I, I end up seeing real estate in a global way because I flew all over and saw it in a global way. Back in the late 80s, it was very small. You know, It was local businesses, and I saw it very differently. And they put a lot of money in their employees. The ones that they think are good, they really spend a lot of their resources on them. So they believed in me and um, I owe a lot to them. And then one day uh, it was came over the stock, it came over the wires that they were selling the real estate and that they decided after like five or six, maybe six years that they wanted to put their money more into global markets and that real estate was not going to fit in. And so now uh, my job was to stay with Merrill and keep, I was in the Northeast region and keep the company together because of course, once that announcement is made, all the competitors try to steal the agents that work for you. So um, I kind of ran around and got everyone to stay. And I probably was one of the youngest people in the company at that time. And I stood in front of everyone and I, said, stick together, stick with me because we're going to get through this together and together we'll be strong. And we had about, 
maybe 70 offices and we were in a way a family and people didn't ask me too many questions. They just stuck with me. And it took about a, a year, maybe six or eight months and they finally sold it to Prudential. And I will never forget that day because uh, now I walk in from the Merrill Lynch guys and there was a lot of men then and they were all dressed to the nines and did everything great. And they said, now meet your new boss, Prudential. And it was very different. They dressed differently. They just were a whole different type of company. And uh, after they made some announcements, they said to us, all the people that were running the company in the United States, because Merrill was a national company, they said, we do not believe in national real estate companies. We think that business is very local and that it's not good to have a national company. Uh, we bought it for the relocation services. And so, therefore, we're going to franchise this. The I think there are about 460 offices throughout the United States. And we're going to franchise regions like the Northeast, the North, the, the Western region, Northern California, Southern. And there I am now working. And I was very sad. I hated, I hated working to go into Prudential for Merrill. And furthermore, now my job was to keep everyone together until they found a buyer for the Northeast region, which I was part of their management team. So I'm eventually going to be out of a job, basically. And uh, in that time, I think I was about 28 or 29, something of that nature. And I was, oh, gosh, like, I, I can't believe this is happening. And someone said to me, well, Dottie, why don't you buy it? Buy a region. I said, well, I don't have any money. They said, so what? Just write to Prudential that you do and that you have money and you have venture capital money and that you have investors and that you'd like to be considered to buy part of the region. And that's, you know, what I did actually. I, 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 um, they had, it took them a year, so at least a year to sell off everything. And so, um, they were unable to sell the Northeast as a region. They sold Connecticut. They sold Boston, uh, New Jersey. I think they busted up and I was on Long Island and there were 37 offices. And I said, I wrote them a letter with a little help from some of the agents, husbands who, uh, helped me with business plans and stuff. And I called up the banks and the banks refused me. They laughed in my face. I called up people who I thought had money. And I said, you could have an opportunity to buy this company. And eventually, you know, people bid on it, but I really wasn't sure. And eventually I ended up having a meeting with them and uh, I had to tell them the truth and say, you know, I really don't have the money, but you should sell it to me. <laughs> And uh, now that's kind of crazy, but the truth is they did. They said, we can't do that. We can't do that. But they eventually did. And I bought 36 offices on Long Island, no money down, no personal guarantees because I had nothing to guarantee them. So I worked for them as an employee for a while. And then I bought um, 36 offices on Long Island. Yeah. Wow. Um but how did how did the economics work 
uh, because you didn't have the money, they still sold it to you? How, how did all that sort of things work? Because that's um, that's a quite an audacious move. Well, here's how it worked. And I know this is almost hard to believe. And so when I'm speaking about entrepreneurs and I, I tell them, I I ended up buying no money down. I They sold me the company. Uh, and I think it was about $9 million. I believe that I did, uh, I think it was about $1.8 in working capital. And they had done the evaluations on a Wharton study that they used the last five years of the real estate market's numbers to determine a value. And they happened to be very good real estate market. It was a very good real estate market the past five years. And they sold it to me, no money down and no personal guarantees. Uh, they lent me the money, credential. Oh, so they lent you the money. Yes, they lent me 100% of the money. And we then, about a year and a half later, went into, I'm sure it was the 90s or some recession. And uh, obviously I was having a tough time paying them and they were sending me, you know, you didn't send the franchise fees, you didn't pay this. And I looked up where their corporate office was, and it was in Newark, New Jersey, which I had never been to, nor do I think that I really want to go there. I got a car, and I had a driver drive me there. I met with them, and I wasn't being a phony. I was really being real. I said, you cannot take my company from me. I will do this. Just give me some time. We're in a bad recession. And I was a little hysterical. And uh, I don't think they knew what to do. They said, calm down, calm down, calm down. And they ended up forgiving a lot of my loan. And then they forgave, I, I would say, over 50 or 60% of my loan. And they said, now go to the bank and refinance it. And I did. And that's how I started. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Well, I learned a big lesson from that. And I tell people this all the time. I I was young and I wasn't afraid of failing because, and I really didn't even think about it because I didn't have anything really to lose. And I it was a crazy thing to even think of. And if you're, even now, I probably wouldn't think to even think of doing it, but I didn't really think about it. I just did it. And they ended up saying yes. So if you don't ask, you don't know. And the worst that can ever happen is someone says no. And I've learned that, you know, I've gotten a lot of no's, but I keep on persisting. And I think that's really important to know. So I then refinanced the loan. I stayed with them. Until, I stayed with them actually until their franchise was over. Uh, but in the interim, Reality was sent in then, and they were buying a lot of companies, and they offered uh, me a lot of money for my company on Long Island. I took in a money partner, and I then went back to Prudential, and this was right after 9-11. So if you go back to 9-11, New York City was expecting a second terrorist attack. Real estate was totally dead. And I called with my partner, uh, a gentleman named Andrew Farkas, who at the time ran the biggest real estate company in Manhattan, which was Douglas Element. And we said, would you 
ever sell the company because it wasn't for sale. Uh, and he said, for 75 million, I will. No contract. He said, there's people bidding for it. He said, if you come up with the money, he said, if you're the first one, then you'll get it. And truthfully, I've had a very good relationship with Prudential. And if I were to leave Prudential, they would lose all their franchise fees because I had now become a franchise of Prudential. I wasn't an employee anymore. And Prudential financed the sale of Douglas Elliman, which was $75 million, approximately a year after 9-11. And I'll never forget, I was on a plane and... We had closed the sale on a Friday, but it was a public company, so we were announcing it on Monday. And the president came on, so we had just gone to war. And so it was the year after 9-11. We were in war. It was not a good real estate time, but so be it. That's, that's what happened. So I financed that money. And again, of course, my company uh, was collateral, but again, I didn't sign personally because I certainly didn't have $75 million dollars. Um, and then I borrowed from my partner a second um, 10 or $11 million extra that I needed. And I had tons of debt, but I moved forward. And we pay, I'm proud to say that we paid off all our debt in the last recession. Yeah, wow. And what I'm trying to work out, Dottie, is, is, is why did you want to buy Douglas Alman if if it was like one of the like, it was a really, really hard time in the industry. Because I loved building a company. I loved running the company. And I really, I just wasn't worried about it. I felt that I could do it. And I was, we were on Long Island and there was no real estate company that went from New York City right out to Montauk, which is the East End. There was big real estate companies in New York City. There were big ones on Long Island, but there was no one that connected the city to all the suburbs around it. And I thought, well, if I can connect this company, we'll be the first company that is not just in the city that connects to the suburbs outside the city. And then I can sell those customers anywhere from Montauk to Manhattan or Manhattan to Montauk. And out in the Hamptons, out there, it's the second market for New York City anyway. So um, I really just felt I could do it. You thought and, it was a good uh, idea, though, or it just, yes, just was the next level? I felt, or? Well, I was the first company that ever was not just in the city that went from the city right out to the Long Island to the Hamptons and Queens and connected all those stops. And I felt customers, once they know your brand, if they dealt with you in one place and they're happy with you, then they are going to use you in another place. So uh, the Hamptons is a very big second market for Manhattan. And I was in the Hamptons as part of my company was in the Hamptons. Um, I was in the suburbs of Long Island. I was in Queens, which is next to, it's part of, it's not Manhattan, but it's next to New York City. And I felt no one ever connected the dots. And um, that's what I was the first person to do that. Since then, other people followed doing that. But 
I thought it was a good idea. And I think people, and even now, if you looked at my business plan, you would see that I am in, I think we have something like, I'll have to give you the exact number, six, the 60 something offices, 60 something. But I'm in all the markets that my customers are in. So we're in New York City. We're in Southern uh, Florida, since a lot of people in the Northeast, when it's cold, buy a second home or a rental in a warmer climate. We're in LA and Southern California because the coasts work together. And um, I'm in Connecticut and all the little suburbs around the states, right around New York City. And uh, I think we built a great brand. And I actually kind of copied the business plan that I learned at Merrill, except, you know, they just didn't stay in it long enough. Why didn't you re like, why didn't you eventually rename uh, Douglas Elman to, to like your name? Like how come you kept the brand name? Well, the brand name was a, it was a white glove company in New York city. It was probably about 95 years old. Uh, actually Douglas Elman started the residential real estate business a uh, hundred years ago. Uh, there was really no residential real estate business in, in the United States. People just would go to the buildings and ask the supers, do you have apartments? So it was a great name. I was watching public companies come in to the business and it's about branding. So my name was known on Long Island and, you know, in some of the places that I worked in, but, I wanted to take a, a brand name and make it bigger. And I also had to stay prudential for, because that was part of the re, that was part of where they lent me money that I had to stay part of prudential also. Mm, interesting. Cause a lot of entrepreneurs would, would want to rename it. I don't have, I mean, look, I think I have an ego, but um, I wasn't, that was a much bigger name. Douglas Elliman in New York City than Dottie Hearn. And I also was competing now with new national companies, which were like Caldwell Banker and, and, and companies like that, that had a national name. And I didn't, and prior to that, there were little brokers that had a name in wherever they lived. And that's where their real estate extended, just where people knew them. So um, I was very personalized was a company but i felt that it was a better move to keep that name yeah no i find that quite interesting because now you've you know you're taking your your real estate company um to to being you know the the fourth largest real estate company in the united states and uh you know uh forbes forbes quoted you as the uh most successful self-made female real estate woman in the world in, in america so i'm curious you know uh, going on from from taking on Doug, douglas Alman, like what what has been key for you to continue to grow the brand and and build from scratch now that's really what i love doing i i love growing companies and i happen to be in the real estate business but i love business and growing and i set a mortgage company up and um, we have a large rental company and uh, when i bought douglas element 
I didn't know that they had a property management company in which they managed a lot of buildings in New York City, and they wanted to sell it to me. And I said, listen, I don't know anything about property management, so I don't want it. And they said, well, guess what? It's our gift. So we have a property management company that manages buildings. And um, I would say that we built a brand that was originally strong in Manhattan and not where I was in Long Island, but through marketing. And I'm a big believer in marketing and branding because I think besides for having good people and putting a lot of resources in that, I think you could be great if no one knows who you are and you haven't done the right branding, then you might be a great company, but no one will know who you are. So we did spend a lot of money on branding it. And then in New York City, um, I was nice to the press. And I think Barbara Corcoran had just sold her company. And so they, you know, in real estate in New York City, real estate is like hot on the press. So everybody wrote about it. And I was pretty press friendly and I was me. I didn't try to be somebody else. I didn't lose one person. We didn't lose one person in the move. And when we did our projections for Prudential that lent us the money, they said, Dottie, you're going to have breakage. There's no way you're going to take a company over and people don't leave. And um, I said, no, I don't think I'll have it. And I didn't. No one left. And everyone asked me, what are your credentials? What, what and I said, I have risked everything I have in life to do this. And I wake up every way, moment the way you do. And I don't want you to have respect me because of the title. Just give me an opportunity to earn your respect. And that's what I did. When you talked about, you know, you spent a lot of money on marketing what kind of split was that? Like, were you sacrificing profit for growth for a long time? Like, because I think that's that's a that's a difficult one to understand for a lot of entrepreneurs. Like, growth, we we, we love growth, but sometimes it can be, uh, you know, it, it can cause us a lot more stress, pain, headaches than than it needs to because we're all told that you want to take the market. You need to take the market. You. You need to dominate. You need to, you know, be the biggest. Um, so sometimes you, that that idea of, of being the biggest, the best, you can, yeah, it grow, growth is an all-consuming thing. So I'm curious around, you know, you said you invested heavily in marketing. What what does that look like? Can you we, can you be a bit more specific there? Let, let's put it this way. I believe in branding and I didn't sacrifice. I mean, I, I obviously would have made a better bottom line. Uh, but, but when I bought Douglas element, they were making, I I think about $8 million bottom line. And, um, I sacrificed making more money myself to grow the brand at the same token. I wasn't crazy. Just, I wasn't trying to be the biggest. I was trying to be the best. And um, have a name that people knew so that when they were in these different locations, they would recognize that brand, believe in that brand. And since um, I believe just like with a doctor, if you use somebody and you're happy with them, you're going to use them and continue. And so that's what I did. Did I take a huge salary? No. 
And don't forget, I was also a franchise of Prudentials. So they spent a lot of time and my partner was good in finances. And so they, they, they would have never let me go crazy. So I was always in check, but I really look, maybe I should put it, I, I always believe in the value of marketing and brands. And I think that, I, I, and I feel that today also. I think that um, now, when we went through the recession in 07, or yeah, I think it was 07, I cut back on marketing, but I still did marketing. When we did 9-11, um, I, you know, I mean, I wasn't even in the city then, but I remember a, a week after 9-11, I did open houses knowing no one was going to buy anything, but just being there and being part of the community and being part of, and I think that's really important, being part of the communities you work in. So I branded and I was out there. I went to everything you can think of. I got to know, I was from the island, so I, I didn't know the players on the city all that well. I made sure to go to everything. And I think I was liked. And when I think you're liked, people want you to succeed. And I did buy a good company. So, um, and then I had to then take that brand, Dr. Selman, which was not known out in the Long Island end or, you know, the East End. And I had to rebrand that also. And that's what I did. We went through, I had gone through, because I was Merrill Lynch. When Merrill Lynch sold, we had to then change the name to be Prudential. You know, then when I bought it, I changed it to Prudential Long Island Realty. And then when I did the city, I changed it to Douglas Elliman. So I'm I'm used to changing names and branding. Uh, this one is forever, though. This one is not going anywhere. This is the one that's going to keep. We've been Douglas Elliman for 17 years, I think. And the brand itself was, you know, 100 and probably 107 years old. So... Talk to me around, I guess, some strategic moves or things that you've done really, really well. You, you mentioned marketing, you mentioned branding, you mentioned, uh, you know, being friendly with the press, um, you know, having good people. But what are some unique things I'm curious that you think that that has been critical to your success of, of building Douglas Alman and, 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 and I guess building, you know, your like building the company? I think, and again, I don't know if you, you know, I've, I've read a lot of stuff on entrepreneurs. I'm not sure if I agree with some, all of it, but I think part of my success was number one, I made sure to know everyone. And if you or somebody who just put, put listings into our computers, or if you uh, were somebody who was answering phones at the time, or you were a top producer, I made everybody important. And I created a team because I, and I believe this, no one's great alone. And you can't build a company without great people around you. And when people feel needed, and I was not ashamed to say when I came into the city, guys, because, you know, people came up and said, you know, I could leave. And I, and I said, you can't. I need you. And I remember the, the CEO that ran it before me said, that was stupid to set, that you risk everything and you need them. 
but I did, and I told them that. And I have to tell you, because there were people in Douglas Elliman that were there for 25 years already, and they did help me. And they helped me build the company. And I was just at something two days ago for the company. And I said, I, I need to thank everyone here because there's no way this company would have been built. And I, you know, Howard Lorb is my partner. So I, I said this with him, but I said, we wouldn't have built it without the people. Because our business is all about people. Because mm. I, um, I know of, I have a few friends that have, uh, you know, real estate agent agencies and, and um, that is one thing. That is something that is difficult. Is is maintaining uh, good agents because a lot of the agents have relationships with the clients, not so much yourself. Um, so I'm curious how how like what do you look for in great people? Uh, what what have you found that has worked for you? What what are some key things? Well, I think I, I learned this from Meryl, I think, or at least I was young and I was part of this big company that I felt part of a whole team of people. And I knew people and don't going back, business, real estate then was very local. But I knew people in LA, I knew people in um, you know, I would meet with them, I would know I knew people all over the country. And that is very hard to leave because I had made personal relationships with so many people across the country that all shared the name because it was Merrill was a one company. It wasn't a franchise. So I built friendships. I built come and that's really hard to leave, um, to just leave. I had personal relationships with so many people. And if you look at my company now, and if you were to make phone calls, I do very many social things that are some social and some educational. I do conferences. I do retreats. I do a lot of roundtables. We meet, you know, we do trips. And people get to know each other outside of work and build relationships. And that's really so important. And in my business, um, if you have a customer in New York and they're going to move to Florida or maybe L.A. or something the West Coast, you know agents in the West Coast. You're not just giving somebody a list of names and saying, you know, these people want to move. You know the agent. You know the personality. And if you come to our company, you'll feel like you're at a wedding. Everyone kind of knows each other. And it's fair. Uh, but we do things roll over, and people enjoy being with each other. And I think that's really special. Today I just came back from a veterans club, and every year at around the holiday time they took veterans who have been in the business and had been with them for over 21 years, 20 years to the rainbow room um 21 club for a holiday luncheon and i think i have a company about 16 17 years now and i still do it and i just came back from it and some of the ladies are still working some of them are 90 years old and they're not working but they all come back to this and see each other and uh, that doesn't look like revenue, but those are just little special things that you do for people that make them want to stay with you. You know, you can't force people to stay with you, but I think the people want to belong to something that they feel part of. And, and uh, you know, I, I've always felt that way and I, that way myself. And so I think that uh, I followed that route. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that 
nobody will ever leave or that some people, you know, companies pay a lot of money to get certain people and that doesn't mean that that doesn't happen. But for the most part, I think we built a very big team and you can talk to anyone in my company, people in Florida know the people in, and, and we, you know, we do the horse shows and then the Hamptons, we do the horse shows and people fly in and get to know each other and it's a big family. Yeah, amazing. Um, so look, we have to work towards wrapping up, Dottie. Um, so I guess what's next for you? Like, uh, like what, what, what are your ambitions? You know, look, we, I built the biggest thrills. I mean, I, I built a great company and I love, I love doing it. Um, I had a lot of great mentors also. I hope, and I've tried to do it all along, but I hope to be able to mentor more people. Um, and I love helping people grow their careers. I think I'm a pretty good visionary. So I, I kind of like do that. I would not say that I'm part of the meat movement, but I do, I, you know, I, I speak a lot and I found that I'm not sure the exact number, but I think it was close to like 91% of venture capital money was going to men. So I, I wouldn't put a woman over a man if they were better, but I really try to help also women um, on, on helping them get money. And I enjoy that. I enjoy growing people. And um, I want to be able to do that because I feel very fortunate. And I was asked many times, you know, gee, do, did you, uh, you know, what did you go through? Uh, I have a lot of great mentors and um, some were not so great, but I uh, plan to, continue doing that kind of work and making a difference. I think that really is important to me. Yeah, no, I, I think it's important to go full circle, right? Yes. Amazing. Um, well, look, uh, we can work towards wrapping up, but uh, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? They can go to com. They can Twitter me on Dottie Herman. They can Facebook me, Instagram me, or they can go if they have a, an iPhone and get my radio show. There's an app called Ion Real Estate. That's my radio show that I've been doing for 10 years or more. So um, those are how they can reach me. Or they can just email me. Awesome. I still like most people. <laughs> awesome well look uh, thank you so much for your time Dottie it was a pleasure speaking with you likewise hey guys I hope you enjoyed this interview as you might already know our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world class founders such as Damon John Alexa Von Tobel Greta Van Riel and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.